Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. All right, we welcome everyone to the Rock family gathering on Sundays. We gather so we could scatter, amen? Facilities are to facilitate, and God has called us to be those that scatter throughout the week to bring the good news that Jesus changes lives. How many of y'all been changed by our King? Come on, how many of y'all been changed by our King? Well, I'm excited about being here this morning on this Memorial Day weekend. I appreciate Pastor George for allowing me the privilege of being able to bring the message this morning. Everybody say hello to Pastor George and Pastor Suzanne. They're all watching online this morning. We love you. And everyone else that's watching online that couldn't be here, the people that are out of town, of course, but they're also watching the service this morning, participating in what God's doing here. And I'm also excited about what God's doing in our community. I mean, this last semester, we have seen tremendous things happening all throughout Gainesville and Alachua County, anywhere from going into the public schools at Newberry High School. They're allowing us into every, you can see some of the slides we're going to show them. We've been going into every sports team. There's Santa Fe, Pastor Jamie, and others have been going right into the teams. They allow us to minister to preach the word, to life coach. I mean, that, you know, that's Newberry High School. If you're wondering, if you're in middle school and wondering what high school to go to, there you go. That's a little hint right there. But these are things that the Lord's doing. We aren't called to be spectators. Can I get a witness? Everyone is called to be a participant. Nobody is called to warm the bench. All of us can get off the bench and get into the game I mean, like I always say, either you're a missionary, I believe every Christian is a missionary, every non-Christian, or like I say, pre-Christian, is our mission field. And to be a missionary, you don't need to go across the sea, you can start by going across the street. Hopefully you went across the street this week, and you knocked on someone's door, brought them a cake, if you make good cakes, don't bring some tired, lazy, ugly-looking cake there, it didn't take... And just show them the love of our Lord. Amen? And you know, also with this, this uh, Memorial Day weekend, we want to honor the families that the individuals that have, have died, have laid down their lives. You know, how can you honor them if they're not here? But there are families here that represent. Matter of fact, if you're part of the military now or you're from a military family of someone that's gone before us, go ahead and stand. We want to honor... And come on, come on, y'all could do better than that. We want to honor you. For those that have gone before us, you know, we desperately need more of that type of mindset of many of our military forefathers and mothers that have gone out, those that have sacrificed on the back lines and the front lines, those that have laid down their lives that have, have pressed through the obstacles, the inconveniences, the troubles, the even enemy territory to do what's not easy. How many of y'all know that we need more individuals like that in this generation? Those that are going to fight, I believe, for a greater cause than self. Hello? Oh, it's easy to fight if it's only for self. I mean, that's a good start. But those that are willing to say, look, I'm going to lay down my life. Like Jesus said, no greater love does someone have than to lay down their life for their friends. And that's what we need in this generation. You know, I signed up for a revolution. I don't know about you. How many of y'all here signed up for a revolution? Not just a revival. I mean, that's a good start. But, but, but the church in America has been so watered down and so what's normal is considered abnormal by the subnormals. Revival only brings us up to where we should have been all along. So we, I mean, that's a good start, but we need to go beyond that for a spiritual revolution. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is a story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of what? 
of sabotage. You might say, man, those are kind of radical words right there. I don't know about that. I'll tell you what, we're not really taking over. We're taking back what's rightfully our kings. C.S. Lewis is talking about a revolution, a revolution. In case you were not taught in school what a revolution is, I'll bring you the definition this morning. It's a radical departure from what was previously considered normal or settled or status quo. You know, status quo Christianity won't change our world. Normal, settled, American, just come and stand on the promises while sitting in the premises. Christianity won't do it. He's called us to be spiritual revolutionaries. And here's what a revolutionary is. It's an agent of change. Turn to the person next to you. You're called to be an agent of change. I'm talking about a real agent of change. An individual who is totally committed by whatever means necessary to bring about change within a society or culture for good or evil. These last two years, we've seen a lot of it for evil. These so-called revolution, cultural revolutionaries blowing up things, bombing things, tearing things up, hating people, doing all this kind of stuff. It's about time that the Christians rise up and take back what belongs to our king. Uh, I mean, something like salt and light. Didn't Jesus say we're supposed to be the salt and the light? Salt that has no flavor, why are you putting it on your food? He's called us to not be a thermometer. Thermometer just measures the temperature. And a lot of what we've seen in Christianity has got to change in this country at least. It's just a lot of thermometers just measuring. Oh, things are bad. Oh, look how terrible. I turn on the news at night after a hard day at work. The guy says, good evening. That's the last good thing he says. Then he talks about the killings, the bombings, the rage. He says, have a good night. We're called to be thermostats who set the temperature. How many of y'all want to be thermostats here? Set the temperature. Salt that brings flavor. Light that expels darkness. Acts 17, 6 says, these men that have turned the world upside down have come here to our city also. Again, status quo Christianity won't do that. That's the, that's the book of Acts. Everybody say, that's in the Bible. Turn to the person next to you and say, we're talking about the Bible. Not what Franco thinks or the rock thinks. It, 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 it's what the Bible says. But, but normal, settled Tasteless Christianity, not going to do that. Not, it's not going to do that. These men that have turned the world, I believe women are included in that too, turned the world upside down, have come to our city. That was the accusation of the Christians. These people have got something. Like I always say, you're no good until you got the goods. And they came with the goods. They showed up. And the presence of God the Spirit of God so strong in their lives that people say, man, these, these are troublemakers here. If a person's living in evil and walking in evil and being evil, we become troublemakers to them. Doesn't matter how kind we are, how gentle, how loving, it's like evil doesn't like that. But I've seen a lot of Christians that are in retreat mode. They don't want the cross to interrupt their comfort. Come on. Some of y'all say, I don't know if I like, like all of this. I didn't, I, I'm trying to enjoy my memorial weekend, and you're going to start challenging us? Let me tell you what. we got a, co- a couple of coaches here this morning, and they know good and well we got strength and conditioning. If, if muscles don't stretch, guess what? They don't grow. They don't grow. And I don't know about you, but I need to be stretched. Anybody else here needs to be stretched, needs to be challenged? I don't want to just be comforted. I want to be challenged. I, I, I don't want to just hear something that's going to uh, ju- just inspire me, you know, inspiration, motivation, education. But how about transformation? That's why we need to be challenged. You know, people that say they're believing, I hear it all the time. They say they're believing for the impossible, but they can't tolerate the uncomfortable. Oh, I'm believing. Yeah, I'm believing for the impossible. Sure, yeah. Jesus said all things are possible. I'm believing for the impossible. But they can't tolerate the uncomfortable. 
It's what I call spiritual pacifists. We were watching a, a, some of the scenes of, of, of war movies recently and, and, and individuals willing to lay down their life. And we've been talking about it in our connect group, but Circle of Champions, how courage is not the absence of fear. It's not at all. Sometimes people, as soon as they encounter fear and intimidation, oh, this mustn't be the Lord. No, maybe it is the Lord. Maybe it's the opposite. Pastor Ron has been teaching us the last three weeks. You need to watch it. He's been teaching us about fighting the good fight. So courage is not the absence of fear. It's the ability with the power of the greater one living inside of you to get you beyond the fear to the other side. To where we don't become spiritual pacifists. At one time I was like that. I was a spiritual draft dodger. Now, now, y'all that are, are over or actually under 35 or 40, you don't know what I'm talking about. The draft used to be something mandatory. And there were a lot of people during, during Nam, they were escaping, running up to Canada, you know, going down to Mexico for, for a couple of years. To, they were called draft dodgers. They were the cowards. That didn't, they wanted everybody else to fight for the freedom in their country, but they didn't want to fight for the freedom. They, they, they didn't want anything to do with that. Or there's others that I call POWs. They're prisoners of war. <laughs> They're just kind of stuck. They, they, were, they were on fire for Jesus, very passionate for him years ago, and then somehow the enemy came in and made him a prisoner, and they're still, though the prison gates are open, yes, they've stayed in the dungeon there. MIAs, others just missing in action. Oh, they'll show up on Sundays, but then throughout the week, where, where are they? Or others that have gone, this is the worst case scenario, AWOL. How many of you know what AWOL means? You're, you're, you're absent without leave. Who gave you that leave? Did your commanding officer tell you that, you that you don't have to show up when the doors are open? That you don't have to be part of a connect group? That you don't really have to wake up every morning and pray? No, absent without leave. I, I, I call it the, the, the quiet quit. Hello? quiet quit they might still be praising the lord or raising hands or maybe even half mass you know you know i want to get both of them up there unless people consider them i'm going to call them a fanatic you know what a fanatic is it's someone that loves jesus more than you you know they get both of them up there but a quiet quit maybe they're going through the motions but inside they quit a long time ago believing all this faith stuff and fighting to fight faith it's a, it's a subtle surrender okay i'm tired of fighting you know, I, I tell you what, a truce, the inside, a subtle surrender to the enemy. Look, look, you don't come past here and I won't go past there. And we'll just call it a spiritual surrender, a truce. It's like a sports team. You, you've probably seen it before where they're going into the second half and they're already beat. They're going into the second period and, and you, you could tell they've already, it's a quiet quit. They've already given up. The mo was so strong, the momentum in the first half, that they went in the locker room. It's like, coaches trying to inspire them, trying to, or, or even the coaches sometimes are like, okay, guys, uh, you know, let's just, you know, try our best or, or whatever. How many of y'all know that good is always the enemy of best? And the Lord has the best for each and every one of us. I believe he's called all of us to win. I don't believe he goes down the line and someone, oh, you're born under the lucky star. I'm going to bless you. And yeah, you're called for greatness, but I don't know about that guy over there. I don't like his name. No, no, the Lord doesn't do that. My Bible says whosoever will. Everybody say whosoever will. It says choose life or death, the blessing or the curse. And then he loves us so much that he gives us the answer. Choose life. You know what a lot of people do? They choose death. You know, COVID caused not the Great Depression. Everybody thought it was going to be another Great Depression. No, no, it, it caused really the Great Resignation. People just resigning on the inside. Ezekiel 16, 49 says this, Behold, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. Most Christians believe they know what the, what, what, what the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah are. And they're all, you know, champion against it and oh, how terrible. But here's what it says, very interesting passage. It says, she and her daughters, in other words, the outer lying cities, had arrogance 
abundant food. And by the way, arrogance is not how loud you talk, how strong you are with your personality. I've seen people that are quiet and timid that are more arrogant than someone that's the big mouth. Because humility is simply agreeing with what Jesus says. It's agreeing with him. If he said it, that's it. I don't like those bumper stickers that say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Baby, it settles it whether you believe it or not. <laughs> Believing it simply puts you in the category to receive. If you, like we say, you believe, you will receive. You doubt, you'll go without. And there are people inside stubborn, stubborn as a mule or a jack A. I mean, just, you know, and, and they're just not going to believe the promises of God. And you think, oh, they're so humble. Matter of fact, they don't even use the word humble. They say, I'm humble. <laughs> they take away the H. But here it says they had arrogance, abundant food. Oh, everybody's crying. Oh, man, where's the baby formula? Oh, wherever. And they're going to, you know, people want to ride in the streets, a lack of baby formula. And yes, we need it. You know, we have five children. We understand the good that that kind of a blessing from the Lord. But we have so much food. We have so much mix. My mom would mix water with carnation milk and try fooling us and mixing a hat because we couldn't afford a, you know, five boys, all athletic, couldn't afford five gallons of milk every day. I mean, bless Make something. She, you know, stir oatmeal in there or something. <laughs> Behold, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. It said it had an arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease. But she did not help. She didn't want to help. She didn't want to get up and help. And I, I, I wonder, is that the Church of America today? I mean, the Bible says if judgment begins, it begins with us. It begins with me. I got to wake up in the morning like everybody else. Say, Lord, is there anything in me? It's, a, it's, it's like the, 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 the disciples, 12, said to Jesus, is it I? Am, am, am I the one? What, what in me is lacking? You know, abundance and convenience should never take the place of duty, responsibility, and commitment to our great king. I'm not against. I mean, I, you know, I, thank, I thank the Lord for conveniences and abundant food. But if it takes the place... If convenience, duty, responsibility, and commitment takes the place of that real passion for our king, then it becomes idolatry. Idolatry. I didn't hear too many amens on that. Don't worry, I won't be here up here next week. You know, you can be prayed for during the week and get, get over it. But I believe our king is worthy. That song, thank you so much, praise him, that was beautiful. Powerful. They're not up here entertaining. They're going to worship if no one shows up because they're here for the audience of one. Worthy is the king. Everybody say, worthy is the king. You know, and the number one trait of a true 21st century spiritual revolutionary is great faith. Great faith. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. People say, I, th- I thought you were already into your message. And I give, people say, you give long messages and I give long introductions. A lot of appetizers, so you don't have to pay as much for the, ma- for the main meal. I let my kids eat all the other stuff. Yeah, bring out more tacos. Yeah, bring out more of that bread from Carabas or whatever. Mark chapter 5. We're going to talk a little bit about this. The number one trait of a true 21st century spiritual revolutionary, again, it's great faith. Everybody say great faith. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 22 says this, and one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came and upon seeing him, he saw Jesus, fell at his feet and pleaded with him earnestly. Say pleaded with him. I mean, there was an earnestness in him. Our our Lord doesn't give as many miracles to those that are just casual inquirers. Let me try this. I say trying is lying. Here you see Jairus, he was pressing in. He pleaded with him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. He didn't say she might get well, possibly she could. Hey, just kind of try this, see if it'll work. I heard about you, Jesus. You know, you got two thumbs up online. You know, you got all these uh, followers. You, you know, your videos have gone viral. No, no, no. he said, you're, you're going to come and you're going to lay hands on her and she's going to get well. And he went off with him. Well, wait a minute. I, 
I thought we're supposed to follow Jesus. How do you get Jesus to follow you? We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but instead had become worse. In other words, she heard about Jesus, the healer. She, maybe, she, maybe she had already tried you know, Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, Dr. Oprah, Dr. Fauci, all the doctors at the CDC. But it says after hearing about Jesus. Have you heard about Jesus? I ask you here today, have you heard about this Jesus that is still, heal, still healing marriages? Still, still healing bodies and minds? Still, still telling suicide and depression? No, 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 no. Goes on to say this after hearing about Jesus. You got to hear about Jesus. Well, I don't know if I got that kind of faith. Then you got to hear more about Jesus. Study Jesus. Read about Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Put on podcasts about Jesus. It said, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she had been saying to herself. You know where she was talking herself into a miracle. Some of y'all talk yourself out of a miracle. You get prayed for up here. You feel a little jolt to feel a little better. And by the time you get to the bar parking lot, you've talked yourself out of a miracle. I don't know if I feel that anymore. You could be led by faith or led by feelings. One or two. She, she talked herself in a miracle. She kept saying to herself, if I touch his garments, I will get well. Again, I'm, not that I might get well. Possibly I get well. I might as well try this. I've tried everybody else. You know, she, it says the more that she went to the doctors. We're not against doctors. If it weren't for doctors, most, most of us Christians would be dead. <laughs> I mean... But, but, but she got worse. She got worse. It's like you ever taking your car into just a normal, you got that little, little coupon for, for her, you know, $12 oil change. That's all you wanted. Y'all know where I'm going with this. All you wanted was your oil change, and they're blowing up your phone all afternoon. What is the deal? And they're saying you need brakes, you need a new transmission. We did a free 12-point check on your car. They're always going to find something. My wife tries to get me all the time to go, hey, you need to do your checkup. Okay, I'm going to let Jesus do my checkup because he's going to tell me some promises here. He's going to tell me you're doing just fine because I'm afraid sometimes you go get a checkup and they're going to give you the worst-case scenario. I tell you all the things. One time, one, my, my daughter called me from the, I'm not going to mention the name of the, of the chain of, of mechanic store. She goes, Dad, I just came in here to get an alignment, and now they're telling me my brakes, and need brand new brakes, or I might have an accident. I said, give me the phone. <laughs> I said, excuse me, sir. My daughter was just telling me that, and uh, how, how much life is still left? In, well, he knew I was talking about that. How much, how much percent? Well, you got about 33 to 35 percent brakes left i said then why are you trying to sell her brakes right now call us back when it's down to about 10 percent or 15 percent and then we might consider buying some brakes from you hello so so she was getting worse but she turned to jesus if i only can i will get well and immediately everybody say immediately it says immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease she didn't wait for the feeling and then say, look what Jesus could do, did for me. She knew that once that she touched them, she was going to get healed. The feelings will always follow your faith. Not, not, not before. Not before. She felt her body that she was healed of her disease. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power from him had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Turn to someone and say, Your faith is going to make you well. 
Jesus didn't say, my faith has made you well. He said, your faith has made. He felt the power leaving him. But the connection was to pull that power from him for healing was her faith. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be cured of your disease. While he was still speaking, people came from the house of the synagogue of Fisher, came from Jairus' house, saying, your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher further? But Jesus. Everybody say, but Jesus. He said, but Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken. The NIV says he ignored what was being said. Sometimes you got to ignore what people are saying. Because again, they'll talk you out of your miracle. You know, you've been standing in faith for weeks or months or years, and then they'll come along with all their logic and human reasoning and philosophies of man and everything else. And NIV again says that he ignored what the people were saying, overhearing what was being spoken. Do you know that Jesus overhears our words of doubt, our words of fear, and our words of faith? He was overhearing them, and he said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, the brothers of James. He just wanted to bring some people of faith in there with him. You notice he didn't even bring all his disciples. He didn't bring Doubting Thomas. He didn't bring, I mean, some good guys. But he said, look, I, I, I got to get around an atmosphere and a culture. That's gonna, it's not going to be toxic. It's gonna, they're going to have some faith. He brought, they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And after entering, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. I hate to be one of those individuals in the day of judgment when the film is played back, hey, hey, and they see themselves laughing at, at God himself standing there in human form. They began to laugh at him. And if you're going to be a person of faith, you're going to have some people, you're going to have family members laugh at you, make fun of you. Ma, are you one of those faith, faith preachers? Are you one of those? No, 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 no. We just serve a big God. You show me the size of your faith, I'll show you the size of your God. There are some people serving little. Gee, I serve a big God that said what's impossible with men is possible with, with God. It's with God. And he took along the child, but putting them all outside. He, okay, all y'all naysayers, all you critics, it doesn't take any faith to talk about the bad news all the time. Well, I'm just keeping it real. Sometimes you got to go beyond what looks real and get it from a different perspective. And he had to get all them folk out of there, get them out, putting them all outside. He took along the child's father and mother and his companions and entered the room where the child was in bed. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translate means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astonished. Few observations from this passage. Number one, you see in verse 24 and verse 30, faith gets God's attention. Faith gets God's attention. In other words, Jesus, he followed the faith trail. You notice that he didn't even, Jesus didn't even pray for the woman with the hemorrhage. He didn't even pray for her. Her faith got him to turn around began to follow. Jairus' faith, you can look it up later in Mark, in, in Mark 20, 5, 24 and verse 30. It says, he went with Jairus. He followed the faith trail. All this commotion the last couple of years of why do we need this and why do we, You follow the money trail and you see where it all leads to. When, when Enron came down on Worldcom and all that, all they had to do was follow the money trail. Let me tell you what, our Jesus follows the faith trail. He was looking. He was looking. Faith gets God's attention. Faith doesn't necessarily move God, but it gets his attention. To, faith puts you in a position to receive what he has already promised. Number two, number two, second thing you see in verse 34 you see, she said, if I can only touch his garment, if I can only re reach out. Jairus said, come to my house and, and, and lay hands on my daughter and she will get well. So faith is the primary love language of heaven. 
A lot of people wanted Jesus' attention. They wanted to do something to minister to them, come out to, come to eat with us, let's go to a restaurant. A lot of people were pressing in. Everybody wants something for Jesus, from Jesus. But, but Jairus, why did he follow Jairus? Why? Because Jairus was speaking his love language. Jairus was speaking heaven's love language, which is faith, which is faith. And that pulled on him. You know, many people try to get God's attention but they're speaking a foreign language. They're telling them their need, they're begging, they're doing good works, good church attendance, prayer, etc. But this is a secondary language. It's not, it's not heaven's primary language. An example would be, you know, we, we lived in Latin America for, for a number of years. Two of our five children were born there. And you see these teams from the United States coming to Latin America, mission teams, whatever. And they don't speak Spanish, not a lick of Spanish, but they're trying to speak, they, they, they're acting like they're still in the United States, trying to speak to someone down there in English. And they think by talking louder, the person, I want a hamburger. Give me a hamburger. But they're not speaking the language. Hello? Or they think by, maybe I'll use the accent and they'll get it. I want a hamburger, hamburger. Oh, no, that, that, that doesn't work either. My dear grandmother, her, her second language was English. First language was Spanish. If you can call it that, it was more like Spanglish. She would they say things like, Happy uh, Thanksgiving. Or Merry Crima. Okay, you mean Christmas? Crima, what's Crima? Sans giving. I mean, the classic was when she was really working hard to learn, learn English, and I'd go over there for lunch, and she had three, three choices today. Three, three. Hay tres. Puedes escoger entre los tres. You could choose between the three, whatever you want. And I said, okay, what, what are the choices? You could today you could have a hot dog, frankfurter, or weenie. <laughs> I think I'll take the the hot dog today. I mean, bless her heart, she tried hard. So sometimes I'd say, look, look, just let, let, let's talk in your first language. That's your second language. You do it. Keep trying. But let, let, let's, and, and, and if you want to get heaven's attention, you want Jesus to follow, in a sense, follow, it get, you got to speak his love language. And that is, that is faith. That is faith. Number three, number three, third observation from this passage, there's a blessing in the pressing. There's a blessing in the, both the woman with the bleeding going on and Jairus had to press through the crowd. Luke 8, 42 and 45, it says, but as he, Jesus, went, the people were pressing against him. They're pressing against him. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? Peter said, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. So if all these people were pressing in, then they really, Jairus and the woman with the, had to really press in. You ever been in, a, whether it's a concert or a sporting event or whatever, I mean, there's just crowd. Who dot nation, I've been to, you know, their games and everything. I mean, it's a mob. And if you want to get close to where... The action is you got to press through those that are pressing through. A lot of Christians don't, just don't press enough. But there's a, pre there's a blessing in the pressing. One of my football buddies at Florida State, when the Lord really got a hold of our, li our, our lives, we thought, look, everybody's praying during the day, and they're all kind of pressing in and asking God for stuff. You know what? Why don't we just we'll set our clocks for 3 a.m., we'll wake up for a little bit, and we'll pray, and we'll have all of God's attention just for ourselves. And then we'll go back to bed. Uh, it wasn't good theology, but I believe the Lord, <laughs> the Lord honored it. He honored it. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 20 in the Amplified, it says, Are you willing to recognize, you foolish, spiritually shallow person, that faith without works is useless? In other words, you have to press. You have to do something different as an act of faith. This young guy that I was discipling some years back, Oh, I'm believing God. I'm praying to God for a job. 
well, what are you doing? Well, I wake up in the morning, you know, I kind of sleep in because I got to get my beauty rest. And, you know, I have my cup of coffee till about 10 o'clock. And then I kind of, you know, send off some resumes. And, and, and you know, then I got to get my workout in. And there's no pressing. I said, look at here. I said, your job from 8 to 5, until you get a job 8 to 5, is looking for a job from 8 to 5. Hello? And I said, I want you to go along Monroe Street there in Tallahassee. I want you to knock on every single one of those restaurant doors and say, I want to talk to the manager. Go in an hour when they're not, they're not busy. Yeah, I don't care if they, they don't have on the marquee, you know, help wanted. Now you see everybody help wanted. Back then you had to press in a little bit. And he said, all right, I'll do that. I, and you're going to tell him this, look, I'll be your best employee. I'll work extra. I'll work harder than anybody here. You, and this boss, man, it's like, man, I've been trying to get rid of this other guy here, but I don't know who's going to replace. He'll, he'll, and when, he said, I hadn't even got past two restaurants and I, was, I had offers already. He had to do something different. He had to put some wheels to his faith. You know, Jairus' faith was seen in his willingness to continue to press forward regardless of the circumstances. He could have taken what they had said, your daughter is what? Is dead. Okay, well, God, I'm not going to bother Jesus. I'm going, I'll just go home by myself. But he was willing to press through. The Syrophoenician woman in the Bible, she kept knocking through the nose. No, 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 no. Some of y'all just stopped too soon. You got to knock through the nose. You know, Peter was believing to get released out of prison. The chains fell. He got to a door. People were praying on the inside. He kept knocking and nobody was answering the door. He had to knock through the nose. There's a big difference between hopeful wishing and true Bible faith. That didn't go over too good. Let me say it again. There's a big difference. A lot of what people call faith, Bible faith, is just hopeful wishing. I'll kind of just throw it up there and hope it sticks. I'll just get prayed for again. I'll, and it's not the Bible faith which we're talking about. Most Christians I've found are way too passive, way too passive or spiritually lazy to do anything about their circumstances. They want God or someone else to do it for them. And God said, no, no, I've given you the authority. No, no, God, please, you do it, you do it. No, 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 I give you authority over serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by enemy. I called you to resist the devil, and he will... No, God, would you resist him for me? Oh, Pastor Ron, pray for me, resist the devil for me. Now, we'll put our faith together with you, but not for you. We don't believe in, 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 in codependency or independence. We believe in interdependence. When it, when it comes to faith. You know, they think it's cruel if you were to say, the devil hasn't left you because of the littleness of your faith. They'll run you out of town. But you know that Jesus said that? He said he went to his own hometown and he could not perform many miracles there. What do you mean he could not? He said because of the littleness of their faith, because of their unbelief. They were just full of so much, so much doubt. When his own disciples say, how come we couldn't cast the demon out? Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith. You tell somebody that now, and they'll slap you right up here in the front while you're trying to pray for them. <laughs> but some of us need to lay hands on ourselves. Go ahead, lay hands on yourself. And you need to just say no to your depression, no to your sickness, no to divorce, no to lack, no to confusion, no to pornography and lust. You will not control me. It's what I call the divine decline. The divine decline. Excuse me, somebody's. Someone's trying to call me right now. Look at this. You know what? I think I'm going to decline them. <laughs> it, was, it was ringing up here. They, 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 they're, calling, they're calling again? Who, hey, we're right in the middle of a church service. No, no, no. And you need to do the divine decline when the devil comes at you all the time. He's trying to interrupt your life. He's trying to interrupt your marriage. He's trying to interrupt your business. He's trying to interrupt your body, your peace. You could hit the decline button like I did as many times as you, you need to. Decline to be defined by your circumstance, what your circumstances are dictating 
to you. I want to show you a short clip before we go. I want to show you from, from Andrew Womack that, that explains this in a just a little bit different way. Let's play it. You know, the reason that I don't get sick and so many other people do, I'm not saying this to put anybody down, but I guarantee you, I hate sickness. Hate it. I hate it. I'm going to say some things that many of you will think, you are absolutely weird. Well, I think you're weird. <laughs> but I'd no more be sick than I'd go commit adultery. And some of you, well, I don't have any control over whether I'm sick. That's the reason you get sick is because you don't understand your authority and you will give in to it. And if you have a pain, you will submit to it. You know, it was a couple of years ago, I was opening a jar and I mean, my hand hurt when I went to squeeze that thing. I don't know for sure what arthritis is, but I prayed with so many other people. I suspect it was arthritis or something. And anyway, my hand hurt when I began to open that thing. You know what? I said no in the name of Jesus. And I must have taken that lid off and put it back on a hundred times just in the name of Jesus. I refuse to do this. But there's a lot of people that you'll have a pain and you'll say, oh, I can't do that anymore. And you accept it. I hate sickness. I had a pain in my foot for probably the last year and something. I've had, anyway, I'm not going to describe it because some of you will come up and tell me what it was. I don't care what it was. It doesn't matter to me what it was. Jesus paid for it and I am not going to have pain in my feet. And so you know how I responded to it? I've been walking anywhere from six to eight miles a day and doing the exact same thing that I don't feel like doing. And I hate being sick. I hate having problems. I hate it. God gave us the capacity to hate something. You need to hate sickness. You need to hate arrogance and pride. You need to hate carnality. You need to hate sin. And if you don't hate it, then you'll embrace it. You'll put up with it. Most people just give token resistance to thing. And if it keeps knocking at the door, well, I tried. I've had people come up to me before and say, you know, I, I, I've tried to resist this and I just can't overcome it. And I'll say, well, in James chapter four, verse seven, submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And they say, well, I've done that and it didn't work. What am I supposed to do? Agree with you and say the word doesn't work? Oh, but I tried that. Well, it's not trying it. Resisting is fighting. It's hating something. And it's not just trying and saying in the name of Jesus, please leave. That's not resisting the devil. We were ministering deliverance to a person one time and we told him, you need to renounce the devil that you got demons because you welcomed them in. You will let them into your life. You need to renounce the devil. And so we knelt around this table and we were going to pray. And I said, you need to renounce the devil. And this woman goes, dear devil. <laughs> and I had to stop her and I say, that's not resisting the devil when you address him as dear devil. I'm telling you, if you're saying I resisted and it didn't work, I resisted this problem. I resisted sickness and it hadn't worked. You hadn't resisted. Resisting is hating. You need to get angry. And again, I've, I've had people, go, well, I just don't get angry at anything. Well, then die. <laughs> because you have to get to where you hate sickness. You have to hate disease. You have to hate this stuff. We got a lot of weak Weak Christians that don't hate anything, that you just roll with the punches and whatever happens. I'm not saying that you hate people. I'm not against people, but I am against demonic stuff. All right, all right. All right, quickly, quickly before we go, number four, number four, number four. It's in verse 36. Jesus said, do not be afraid any longer. Only what? Only believe. So in other words, number four is fear fights against faith all the time. Fear is fighting against faith. They both can't be cohabitors together. They're, they're, one, one's going to win out. Either your faith will flourish or your fears. Or your fears. And number five, in verse 39, the facts are not final. The child has not died but is asleep. 
In other words, Jesus was saying to him, the child is not good. The, 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 the girl, young girl, is, is, is not dead for good. Is not dead for good. The facts said she was dead. But Jesus can overrule any facts that come your way. In other words, in God's perspective, she wasn't good. She wasn't dead for good. Again, let me say it very clear. Facts don't set you free, only faith. Well, I got all the facts. Yeah, but why don't you got all the faith? If you had some more faith, facts, faith can overrule, overrule the facts. You know, it says in Psalm 78, 41, write it down because we don't have it up here. Psalm 78, 41, it says, They tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Do you know that you can limit God? It was God's will for you to prosper. It was God's will for you to be effective in reaching a lot of other people for the kingdom. It was God's will for you to start a connect group. It was God's will to heal your body. It was God's will to, to hold your marriage together and see it flourish in your family. It was God's will. But even as Israel, they limited the Holy One of Israel because of their doubt and unbelief and lack of really moving in true faith. I tell people, look, if the devil is going to try to steal your faith, at least make him work really hard for it. Don't give in so easy. A ruling on the field in football can be overturned. And Jesus and Jairus challenged the call. This is what, 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 what coaches do in a football game. When all the facts have said this was the play, they do that. What is that called? The coach's challenge. For people that don't know football, that's a coach's challenge. And let me give you the definition of it. Coaches are given red flags which they can use to toss into the field before the next snap. If the flag gets tossed, it initiates an instant replay review. Challenges are especially useful. Mm, this is good. When a team feels that the so-called factual call on the field was incorrect and made in the opponent's favor. Everything the enemy has thrown at you is in the opponent's favor. That's why he wants to bring all these symptoms. That's why he wants to try discouraging you. That's why he wants depression to live in your house and in your gen the generations to follow. Because it's in his favor. He doesn't destroy, destroy just you. He destroys everybody else around you that's trying to believe. I want you to go ahead and stand where you are. Because the facts are not final. They're not final. I want to lead you in a faith confession before we close in prayer. Because your confession aligns you with your possession. I'll say it again. Your confession aligns you with your possession. Jesus heard their words. Heard their words. What was being, being said. The lady with the issue of blood, we just read earlier, she said to herself, she was saying to herself, if I just touch Jesus, I will be healed. Again, she talked herself into a miracle. Well, so I, I, don't, I don't know about all that. Well, this is the way that it works. You might not like the law of gravity. You might not believe in the law of gravity. You like that old throwback song, I believe I can fly, but the law of gravity believes in you. And it's going to pull you down if you try. The same way we have natural laws, laws of thermodynamics, the laws of physics, they're constant. Whether you understand them or believe, I don't understand how the laws of electricity work. I mean, I could ask, you know, you know how to, Andrew, how does all this stuff work? It doesn't keep me from throwing the switch <laughs> and getting the lights turned on. You might not understand God's laws. He has natural laws, he has spiritual laws. And one of them is called the law of faith. And the law of faith says this, I believe, therefore I what? I speak. That life and death are in the power of the tongue. One of the greatest ways to begin to build your faith up is confessing out of your mouth the promises of God. And Proverbs, again, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. We need, to be, we need to act like God. The Bible says as beloved children, be imitators of God. How does our God function? He speaks those things that aren't as though they are. All right, so we're, I'm going to lead you in a faith confession. We're going to put it up here. 
And we're going to read this all together. Are y'all ready? About five of y'all. Come on. Are y'all ready? All right, here we go. One, two, ready, read. I am strong and mighty. I have the same power that... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Some of y'all doing it half mass. (laughs) You're doing it mediocre. We're going to do it like we mean it, okay? Is that right? Bible says, whatever your hands find themselves to do, do with all your might as unto the Lord. So let's start again. One, two, ready, read. I am strong and mighty. I have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living inside of me. I am a weapon of righteousness in a world of darkness. I am not my past. I am not what I did. I am who God says I am. He says I am forgiven. He says I am redeemed. He says I am free. The weapons I fight with are not the weapons of this world. I have divine power to demolish strongholds. I have the mind of Christ directing my thoughts. I have the Word of God guiding my steps. I am not in bondage to my feelings. I'm not controlled by my emotions. I demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. I take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Worry is not my master. I trust in God. His peace guards my heart, guards my mind, guards my soul in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, sickness, both mental and physical, has no legal right over me. My God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. I am not a slave to my habits. I have been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's light. I am empowered. I am chosen. I am called. I am a masterpiece of God, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. My God will bless me abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all I need, I will abound in every good work. My God is for me. My God is with me. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Nothing can separate me from God's love. Not death, not demons, not the present, not the past. No power on earth will ever separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I am not what I have by or have accomplished. My identity is in Christ and Christ alone. By God's power, I can change. I cast my cares on God because He cares for me. My life belongs to Jesus. Daily I seek Him. Daily He directs my steps. I know His voice and He leads me to His perfect will. Because His Spirit lives within me, I can do everything He calls me to do. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.